Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, my God, Trish, that's taken us half an hour to get your little face on the screen there. I was going to ask you what kind of a teacher you were going to be because um, I'm homeschooling this week. But we know what teacher you can't be, don't we? Uh, computer technology? Yeah, you can't. Is that, that even what they call it these days? No. IT. Oh my God. No, 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 it's not. Definitely not. No, that that attempt to get Zoom on my phone was quite shocking, wasn't it? But got there in the end. But I wouldn't be a maths teacher either. So I think no. I'd probably have to be an English teacher because I like a bit of a novel and a poem yes. and a play. Well, I've tried all of the lessons this week, mm. um, and I'm just a bit dismayed that there's no kind of opportunity or opening for a dark arts teacher. <laughs> like there is in Harry Potter, because I think that might be where my skills lie. Spells and potions. Yes, as it turns out, all I can do is, with any efficiency, is PE. It's just a few star jumps Mm. and some roly-polies. That's my teaching. A bit of skipping and jumping. Very nice. Because you know what I haven't got, Trish? Coordinate? No, what? Patience. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I haven't got any. You have it. got coordination. You just haven't got any patience. I haven't got any patience, no. Anyway, onwards. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Trish and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. In today's episode, we'll be putting your most common midlife worries on the couch with our guest, the therapist and parenting expert, Philippa Perry. I am really looking forward to this one because we've both benefited from therapy over the years, haven't we, Lorraine? Yes. We have indeed. She is a very good therapist and her advice is always sensible and I think very doable. Yes, indeed it is. And I want to thank the listeners for all their questions because we will be putting some of them to Philippa. I think I might ask uh, Philippa about Margot's behaviour, Trish. (laughs) Because that cat has definitely Mm. got psychological issues. When I came around last time, she got Mm. inside my handbag. Now, I don't know what that means mentally. Um, All I know is is that all behaviour is communication, as Philippa says, Trish. Mm. So what that says about Margot... What was she, Margot, trying to communicate to you? She wanted yes. to come and live with you instead of living with me, maybe. Mm, indeed, yes. Practising some of your dark arts with you. Yes. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't need any more felines in my house no. practising dark arts. I've got enough. We're also going to be bringing you up to date today with some cultural jibber-jabber. Drum roll, please. Indeed, please. I love this. Our very first middle life culture club for spring 2021 and uh, apologies to boy george and co on this but we did grow up in the 80s didn't we lorraine so we do feel that we are allowed 
permission to borrow that name. So Culture Club it is, and we'll be talking about what's getting us excited on telly and radio and in the world of books. So it's kind of your midlife reading list with an added sprinkle of entertainment recommendations to get you through to warmer, sunnier days. Yes, and we've also got our How to Win at Midlife section. And this week, I'm going to be asking a hair expert on how to get the looks you want as your hair changes when you age. Now, when I got to about 47, mine completely lost all its volume, came very thin. I wish I'd known what I now know because I would have been able to get my oomph back in my hair. So if you've got any of those issues, that will be coming up immediately after our interview with Philippa. So welcome to our first ever Culture Club. See what we did there? Karma, 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 (laughs) karma, Okay, stop now. Stop Stop singing. Right, okay. I feel like we need a sort of theatre curtains opening and a spotlight going on as we go through this. Um, We are going to be jibber-jabbering today about great new things to look out for on our screens and to read and listen to. Yeah, we're quite lucky, aren't we, Lorraine? Because we do, as journalists, we do get um, kind of entertainment previews, all the book lists um, way in advance. So we can kind of pick out the things that are going to really appeal to us. And we're both avid readers. We love a good new podcast and great music. Um, So here are our ideas for spring coming up just now. But we might do this monthly. We'll see what you guys think of it. Um, And uh, we'll be carrying on the conversation on our uh, Facebook group. So if you've got your own recommendations or things you'd like to talk about or start a little mini book group maybe we can do that yes i'm going to kick off with one that you are going to absolutely love trish it's starring mm-hmm. michelle pfeiffer who oh, is now magnificent 62. magnificent michelle pfeiffer catwoman Mm-hmm. That's how I remember her. Amazing. The critics have said she gives the performance of her career in this film. It's called mm-hmm. French Exit and it's mm-hmm. out at the end of February. The trailer is just sublime. And my three word review for this one is dark, sharp and sexy. About a mother and son who I don't want to give too much of the plot away, but they have to go back to Paris mm-hmm. and you'll like it Trish it's more scenes of Paris and sort something out because she Mm -hmm. loses all her money basically and she's just this really bonkers uncontrollable she's just got to that point in her life where she just doesn't give Mm -hmm. a fuck so Mm -hmm. she just behaves like that but at the same time she looks extraordinarily glamorous you just Mm -hmm. she's just the woman you want to be at that age what is a French exit is it like when you leave a party and you don't say goodbye you just leave and you don't say goodbye to anybody is that what French exit is do we even know I've been doing that all my life (laughs) I am a exit. She yes, does a flyby. Exactly. She goes just, in, says hello to everybody on her way to the outdoor. So she's actually yes. saying hello as she goes out. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You are no, going to love that. Now, the yeah. other thing that you will like, because it's very glamorously filmed and it's very funny and it's a rom-com, and I know you like a rom-com, is Palm Springs, mm-hmm. which is a series on Amazon Prime. My three-word review for this one is cookie, original and daft. It's a couple who have to live the same day again and again and again. And it's like Groundhog Day, but it's just really kind of nice, light humour and it's lots of sunshine and it's yes. it's just odd. And I think you'd I think you'd quite like that. I think we'll all mm-hmm. quite like that. Firefly Lane is a series on Netflix at the end of February. 
three word mm-hmm. review is cozy, calming, and poignant. And this is about female friendship. Oh, yes. That sounds like a good one. Stars Catherine Heigl and someone else whose name I've just forgotten because I am of that age. And it's really their the three decades. Three decades, 30 years. 30 years of their life. Oh, lovely. Have we, how many decades have we got friendship? Is it well, two? I think it's two, at least two, isn't it? Yeah. Two decades. Should, should we do a little sitcom together? <laughs> we could. We could Who would we play could. you, younger you? Well, let's go. When it comes out, we'll discuss <laughs> some of the stuff, shall we? Okay, because we'll right. see what it throws up. And that is my culture roundup. Oh, well, very good. Well, I've, I've got a few books. I've tried to keep it classy, Trish. You have. It is market. classy. It's classy. About that. I think it's very good. I would just want to spend a week in bed watching all that stuff. It sounds so good. Yeah. But there are lots of books to look forward to in 2021 as, as well. Are. And later in the year, Sally Rooney and Esther Freud have new novels out, which are going to be exciting. Yes. And Lisa Tadeo, who wrote Three Women, that brilliant non-fiction her. book about women's love's lives, has her very first novel called Animal. So we can't wait for that and there's a couple of memoirs that are going to be so intriguing um Sinead O'Connor will be releasing hers and we are beyond excited that Sharon Stone's memoir The Beauty of Living Twice Sharon in which she muses on love sex relationships fame and of course um I kind of forgot about this rebuilding her life after waking up from a brain hemorrhage in 2001 Midlife hero. Yeah, totally. And then for your reading list for the coming months, there's a couple of books out in January. Luster by Raven Leliani, which is a debut novel, and it became a New York Times bestseller. It's sharp, funny, contemporary. If you uh, wanted a little uh, three word -word review review. on that, I think that one as well has been uh, recommended by Zadie Smith. So that's one to watch out for. Thriller wise, there's The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. Dogs, Deception and Death. Go Excellent. and imagine what that might be about. Very exciting. An evening in our kitchen. <laughs> yes. And then an autobiography, which has got the most stunning cover I've ever seen, is called Just As I Am by Cicely Tyson. Yeah. Now, she is that sort of iconic model, actress and wife of Miles Davis. And she's she's 96. She's amazing. And she has lived the most fascinating life from being born in poverty in Harlem, breaking out as a black woman in the world of fashion in the kind of 50s and 60s and into oh, the I'm film world. And of, of course, living with a drug addict and alcoholic at the height of Miles Davis fame. So there's going to be a lot of life success and heartbreak, I'm saying, about that one. (laughs) (laughs) And then just a couple for February, another kind of thriller called The Sanatorium by Sarah Pierce, which was actually praised by Richard Osman, he of the Thursday Murder Club fame. And that's a kind of Agatha Christie-esque mystery set in a luxury hotel, which is quite exciting. And Insatiable by Daisy Buchanan, who we all know. She's a quite prolific writer across magazines and newspapers. And this is about a young woman trying to work out who she is and what she wants from life and who gets seduced into her new boss's life of high-end living and sex parties. Sex parties? Yes. That's what happens exactly. down your way in Wandsworth, well, doesn't it? I don't high-end know. living and sex <laughs> parties. <laughs> I've got a couple of self-helpy ones just to well, be go contrary on them. Throw them in. Throw them in, in there. <laughs> got one called the soul hub soul hub the collection which is a hundred stories of people doing 
amazing things in their life, kind of endurance runners, CEOs, which I sounded quite a nice one. It's by Carmen Rendell. And then mm-hmm. I've got The Power Hour by Adrienne Herbert. She's a brilliant personal trainer, but I did quite a bit of stuff with her at L. She's kind yeah. of a feisty young black woman who's just so, it's just so easy to follow what she, she's brilliant on Instagram. But her book mm-hmm. is about defining an hour for yourself every day Mm -hmm. and absolutely making the most of it which I think will be absolutely brilliant Trish this is a good one for you I'm going to hold it up it's got the word naked in it (laughs) the The naked naked mind mind. Mm. control alcohol find freedom discover happiness and change your life by Annie Grace very good we are still doing dry January aren't we so am I. It's a success story and so much of a success that I'm trying to work out, trying to redefine my relationship with alcohol. So maybe a book like that might come in yeah. handy because I don't want to just go straight back to the old, you know, three glasses yeah. on a Thursday and five on a Saturday. <laughs> Ten on a when Sunday before maybe breakfast. Just, maybe yeah. I'll just keep going. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. I just think it's been, it's just been oddly easier than I suspected it mm. would be. And um, I'm a bit bored by how eat because i expected mm. some drama llama well i think because we're not going out are we there's we're not oh, seeing anybody yeah, we're not going we're no <laughs> not going out there's no there's no fun to be had so we might as well be at <laughs> i'm home not missing boring. out on anything you're not missing out <laughs> oh i've got oh. one more book to add which i promised i would because it's about a midlife mum and it's tom bradbury's book the news reporter secret mm-hmm. service which i think is really good and then a book that nigella recommended on twitter nobody will tell you this but me by Bess Caleb, I think, or Clab. Mm-hmm. That has just had the most amazing views and it's very funny, apparently. I'm about to start on that one. So that's the end of our first Culture Club. And don't worry if you didn't catch it all, because we will be putting the list on the Facebook group. And if you've seen or heard of something that you think we'd like, do post it on the group or DM us on Instagram or email us hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. <laughs> 
it's one of those things that's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I am the same person that I ever was. I'm sort of unaware of how other people might be thinking or perceiving of me. So I can't answer that. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, not to worry. Okay, well, I'm assuming, though, that wherever you go, people bombard you with questions because the book has been so successful. What is the most common parenting question that you get asked by people who meet you? I get this question in many shapes and forms. Something like, oh, my neighbours are moving away and my little girl is missing her playmates. How can I make it okay? And my son is so sad when his dad goes to work. What can I do? In other words, people hate it when their kids are anything other than happy. And why wouldn't they? But my great big task in life is to help parents help their children be with them in all their moods. If we are continually distracting and trying to cheer up our children, they may get the message that they're not acceptable when they're anything other than happy. We need to give them permission to be sad, to miss their friends, to miss their dad, to miss their mum. It's important that we feel with them when they're feeling sad or angry rather than deal with them. We need to connect with them rather than correct them. There's no such thing as the wrong mood to be in. You're in the mood, you're in. And what is going to get you out of it more than anything is if somebody gets in there with you. When I was at the Samaritans, part of the uh, training, we were given this metaphor, which is if someone is down a deep, dark well, it's no use shouting at them from the top and telling them the weather's lovely up here. What you have to do is climb into that well and be in the well with them. And then you've got a chance of climbing up together. But you can't just shout from the other side, oh, it's lovely. You have to go down and feel with them before they'll be able to feel with you. Why do we find it so difficult to sit with those uncomfortable feelings or feelings that we think are uncomfortable? I think it's because... We're fine with being happy or being content. We're good with those. But I think it's because our parents wanted us to be forever cheerful. And it's something we've got in our bones. We think it's wrong if a child is sad or angry. But when parents do learn to sort of get down at the same level as their tantruming child and go, oh, you are so angry about this, aren't you? You're feeling so sad. I can see you're so frustrated. When the child knows they're understood, you know, feels they're understood, it's not a cognitive thing, but they feel understood by their parent, then they don't have to shout as loud. So they don't have to stay there quite as long. You know that we shout the loudest when we're not heard. A common one is because we're so desperate for our kids to be happy the whole time, is that when they say something like, I've got monsters under the bed and I'm so scared, we like to say, no, there's no monsters under the bed. Don't be silly. But actually, what we need to do is ask them about the monsters. What are their names? Let's make up a story about them and then we can decide where the story goes, can't we? My dad used to say, oh, no, they've all gone now. <laughs> and you had Just terrifying. Night, and the next night, yes. and the next night. You know. I mean, of course you can get down and look under the bed, but we all know that the monsters are a metaphor for something. Yeah. Because before we can speak, we dream, and we dream in metaphor. And sometimes in order to tell the truth, 
a kid can only find the metaphor. They can't actually put their finger on what's happening with them. So they need our help to process these feelings. And so the monsters under the bed, tell me about the monsters. Just open it up rather than close it down. In fact, that's have- quite a good mantra when your yes. kid's not feeling well or feeling somehow disquietened. Open it up rather than close it down. In terms of teenagers, how does that extend to them? They need to really be heard, don't they? You know, even poets find it difficult to articulate how they're feeling. You'll be in the kitchen and your teenager will come in, drop their bag in the middle of the hall, slam the door, not acknowledge you, go straight to the fridge, stick their finger into the humus or something that you were hoping to eat later, eat it all up and then go... and then go up to their room. And you might think, oh, that was quite unsatisfying for me. (laughs) And what you can do in things like that is just say how you feel. You can say, oh, I'd really like it if you said hi before you open the fridge. That would be nice. I can see you're really tired and I'd drop my bag in the middle of the hall if I felt that tired, except that I'd fall over it. So it'd be so great if you could (laughs) put it to one side, maybe. They'll know whether they can talk to you or not, Mm -hmm. and if they need to talk. The best way of getting them to talk is accepting everything they say without pushing them away and accepting Mm -hmm. their version of reality. And if you think that, oh, I told her not to be so silly yesterday when she told me the whole world was against her or something, I realised that shut her down. So what we can do is go, you know, yesterday you said you felt the whole world was against you and I didn't really listen properly. I'm sorry, I should have listened. Mm -hmm. I make no demands. Don't say, tell me now, because they might not be in the same mood now. But if we (laughs) realise we've made a mistake and shut them down, probably because we want them to be happy the whole time, we can always backtrack and go, my bad. We have brought you here today, Philippa, to talk about midlife Midlife. Um, midlife. Oh, no, growing up. Because <laughs> I'm beyond it. I'm 63. <laughs> well, and I would quite like to ask you about your midlife journey. You are on HRT and you've been on it sort of 15 years, I think I heard you say in one interview. So what was your midlife journey like emotionally and mentally? We've all heard about the menopause and we've all heard about hot flushes. But what I had not heard about when I became perimenopausal was that your moods change that the drop in estrogen that you're not producing so much anymore will alter how you feel i just wanted to murder everybody (laughs) did you did you go to your gp with the knowledge because there's so much negativity and there has been for our generation of women i think around hrt I, i was terrified of asking about it but did you go through all of that well i was lucky in that I had the physical symptoms of hot flushes. And they go, oh, yes, you could have HRT for oh, yeah. months to get you over that. And they give it to you in such low doses these days that it isn't the danger it once was. And what I noticed was not only my hot flushes disappeared after about a day of being on uh, patches I was on, but also I cheered up considerably, quite enjoyed the company of other people again. I enjoyed being me a lot more on HRT and I am still on it. I have tried to come off it a couple of times and I just get really, really low. So I think, what's the point? Not all doctors are interested in the menopause or not all know a lot about it. And my own GP practice is incredibly busy. They really haven't got time to sort out Mrs. Well Woman over here and her 
her moods really we talk to our community because they're very active they're very responsive so if it's okay with you we'd like to indulge in a bit of what would philippa do i do you are an agony aunt you've been an agony aunt on the magazine for many years so we asked on facebook and instagram what do you want to ask philippa perry about midlife one of the big things that kept coming up was identity and women's identity changing and we had a letter from sally and she wrote i'd like to ask about getting to know my new self I'm struggling with the psychological side of midlife I'm postmenopausal at 45 and I don't know myself anymore I've gone from knowing myself inside out to feeling like I'm one step away from making menu choices in a nursing home I'm not sure who I am and I don't completely recognize myself what would Philippa do I think that sounds very exciting because if Sally feels different she's got a whole new Sally to get to know and I start Sally with the basics just seeing what it feels like to be in your body. I sometimes get a shock when I see my body. I go, really? It looks like that? But this body is still looking after you well. And so it's great to get to know it and what it feels like. I start with the very basics of what does it feel like to breathe? Become aware of your breathing because the in-breath and the out-breath, that is you. And you can extend that by thinking, okay, I'm inhaling. And you can make that into a metaphor and sort of like, I'm taking in from the world. Then I make it my own and then I give back to the world. A bit like the pattern of breathing in and out. And maybe, Sally, what you make of the world is not what you used to make of the world. And it's going to be so much fun to find out what you think and feel and how you experience the world now because it will be different to how it was yesterday. We aren't made out of stone. We are continually evolving and developing, and we will change. And just because we feel different, it doesn't mean to say we're one step away from a nursing home. You know, we go from being an alpha adult when we're gathering resources into being a beta adult when we start to enjoy them. We obtain an allotment or buy a house with a little garden. That's the alpha adult. And then the beta adult likes digging the garden. It's a change. Unless anybody tells us that we go from alpha to beta and it's quite normal and it's quite nice, it's not surprising that it feels strange and discombobulating. You've got a whole new set of hormones in your body than you had when you were premenopausal. It will make you feel differently. But at 45, oh boy, you've got another 45 years and you can enjoy them. You will enjoy them when you ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? And then from that, you can work out, what do I want? And then you can go for it, Sally. Go for it. Oh, I love the um, the alpha and the beta. I've never heard it kind of expressed like that before. Yeah, but yeah. I hope Sally will find that very useful as we uh-huh. did. Something Lorraine and I have talked about, which is this yeah. idea of the death maths. So somebody wrote saying, since turning 50, I'm suddenly conscious I'm well over halfway through life. Time is not on my side anymore. I can't say I dwell on it, but I'm a bit ambushed by my thinking. And how can I not be so maudlin as I get older? I suppose some of what you said in the last answer applies to that, doesn't it? But is there anything else specifically about this sort of existential thinking about death and life and that side of things. Yeah, we are going to die. Sorry about that. I do the death maths every morning. I think, hang on a minute, I got 30 years to win an Olympic 
medal i got 10 years to climb everything i do it literally every morning <laughs> and i'm better now because trish talks me down off the off the ledge over the last couple of years but i'm absolutely furious and also extremely sad that i'm more than yeah, halfway through um, i think we can be sad about it we love life and anything that gives us pleasure uh unfortunately the downside of that it has the power to give us pain and if you're thinking, oh, my God, I've only got this much time left to go to Nepal and go trekking or whatever it is, then, yeah, but you better get on with it, girl. Because... <laughs> but how do I stop it making me feel sad? Why not be sad about it? Why not go, yeah, it's sad. I mean, it will be sad if you enjoy your life when you come to the realisation that at some point it will end. And it's something that we can't really hide once we start to get older and our, our bodies let us down a little bit more than they're used to and things like that. And I think it's okay to be sad. It's not okay to be obsessed about it uh, because we still have some life to be getting on with. But I think in keeping one eye on the, the, the death maths, as you, as you call it, <laughs> I don't think it's a bad thing because it will make sure that we do make the best of what we've got left. And we will keep asking ourselves, okay, what do I need right now? The, the great thing is about a sad feeling, think of it like light on your car dashboard giving you a warning light that you need to do something. Oh, I like that. I like okay. that. Now, you don't just want to take the bulb out of the light because then... You don't know you're going to run out of petrol. You've got nothing to warn you. That's what the sad feeling is. It's giving you a little flash on your inner dashboard saying mm -hmm. uh, you need to do something. And I think it sounds like, Lorraine, you need to climb Everest by the sound of it. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes, yeah, I really do want to go from the North Island to the South Island of Japan. And I want to take four or five weeks over it. And I want to do some very long walks there. And I think, well, if I want to do this, and I'm now 63, I've got to do it in the next five years, because I might need a stick. Sometimes I need a stick now. So it's telling us what we need to pack in. And what I will say is when I have given myself permission to have adventures. Those adventures do keep me company. They do go in the memory bank and they make me feel good. That's and very good advice. So make the most of your life now. Keep building up your memory bank. And if you keep remembering that, oh my God, death is coming. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I don't think we need to think sad is bad. I think sad is inevitable. Great. We've got a good one here from Joe. There were quite a lot of questions about teenagers and also older children coming to live back home. So this is because we're all in lockdown still while we're recording this. And it's about really how do you support them? So Joe wrote, how do I support my grown-up son with his anxiety without A, treating him like a teenager, B, patronising him? He is living at home during COVID while he saves for a deposit. He's smart, funny, thoughtful and kind. He has anxiety and this limits his social interactions. How do we support him in the best possible way? Well, how would you support anyone like that? I'm into the hole. I think the trouble is, like, when the people we want to help are our children, we 
feel like we should be superhuman about it. Like if I was feeling like that and, and Joe was my friend, I expect Joe would listen to me, be curious about me. Joe wouldn't think it was in their power to fix me. The advice I give to people who want to help other people is the same whatever the age of the other person is, which is feel with, don't deal with. You can't fix this for Joe. He's going through a bit of a low time at the moment, you know. Feel with your son. He sounds great company. Enjoy his company. If he knows he's enjoyed, he'll know he can be enjoyable and that will help his social anxiety. But if you hover around him with too much concern, he's going to start to believe there's something wrong with him. We've got another one from a mother about her 20-something-year-old son. This is Virginia. Her 23-year-old is back living with her, working from home. And she says that he seems to have not one shred of empathy or sympathy with what is going on in the world right now. Virginia is really struggling with his approach to life and his views. And her husband is struggling with them as well because they find it um, sort of, you know, difficult. And they are kind, helpful and battling on in the situation situation but he doesn't seem to have a shred of kindness in him I find it really upsetting that's a horrible one isn't it that's really sad I think people that are shown empathy learn how to feel it for others and you can't say be empathetic be kind and we all develop at different rates so Rather than tell your son off for not feeling and not and not being kind it's going to make him worse just be kind to him and he will internalise that. I think he's probably got a lot to be angry about at the moment. You know, a 23-year-old should be on the springboard of life and should be bouncing in, into finding his own tribe and his own way in life. And he's locked down. I mean, for them, a year is a 50th of their lives. For him, it's a 23rd of his life. It feels much longer. It feels much worse than it does for, for them. And so he probably is having a bit of self-pity. He's probably quite angry that he's having to stay indoors to protect some 90-year-old he doesn't know. If they can see it from his point of view, he will be able to see things more from their point of view. To impact on another person, we need to allow ourselves to be impacted by them. So empathize with your son and his view of the world, and then he will begin to learn empathy. But maybe that's not gonna be his contribution to the world. Maybe it'll be something else. Not all of us can be empaths. We had several questions about this subject and we it's come up a few times actually on our Facebook group and it's something some of the medical experts talk to us around perimenopause and menopause. Many women lose confidence doing really normal everyday things. Driving is a really common one. So uh, somebody had written on our Facebook that she one day she got in the car and she was just really frightened and that came from nowhere. How do you get your confidence back around that? fearfulness. I've come across this a lot to my Red Magazine post bag, especially it seems in COVID. I've had a lot more of, I don't think I do anything well anymore and I've lost all my confidence. I'm having a lot of these emails at the moment. And delving into them, what seems to be happening, especially with women, is that they are so used to having so many plates spinning. They talk to me in terms of their roles. I'm a worker. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm looking after my mother who's got Alzheimer's, I'm 
a friend and they talk to me in all these roles they're doing and all these hats they're wearing and quite often what I can't hear is I hear you in relationship to all these other things and all these other people I don't hear you in relationship with you and I think if we don't give ourselves enough me time and people haven't got the commute anymore they're all working from home they've got no time to themselves they've got other people living in the house with them instead of having the house to themselves if they, if they didn't go out to work and if they do go out to the work as I say they haven't got the commute time they had to readjust so they haven't got that me time now if you haven't got me time You've got all the plates spinning at once. You're going to get exhausted. And if you're going to get exhausted, the body is going to be thinking, we need this lady to take a rest. <laughs> you know? And so one way of doing that is to, rank, is to crank up the critical voice. I don't think you can drive anymore. Uh, I don't think you're very good at work. Oh, God, you're a crap daughter. And really... What the voice is saying, I think, is you need a break. Take a rest. Interesting. Because our bodies are tireder and are different when, you know, we get to perimenopause as well. And I think we do perhaps need more time to get to know ourselves again as we change. And that means more me time or more time with like-minded women friends who are going through the same thing. Just to find out who we are again. And I think if we don't do that, we have not a panic attack, but almost on, on the spectrum of a panic attack saying, you can't do this. And really that voice is saying, slow down. We've slowed down, haven't we, Trish? That's what we we've have, been learning. It, we just yes, can't... we have. I think it's very difficult for women to do it, but I think we've got to a point where we've listened to that uh, yeah. in, inner voice haven't we and it's, you don't, um, I think loss yeah. of confidence seems to be a major uh, symptom of yeah. not slowing down I think that kind of filling our time all the time which we used to do we just realized that we just it was making us panic not making us happier or more organized or better or it was making us worse at everything but the other thing is pre-covid I mean I didn't used to work here I used to go to a psychotherapist work hub. So I'd had water cooler moments with colleagues. I mean, I only go there to write. I didn't see clients there. Other people were seeing clients there. And then between clients, they'd come up to the coffee room while I was doing my writing. We'd have a nice little chat. And it was very good for my own self-regulation just to see colleagues, just to see people every day that I didn't have to make big arrangements to see. Yeah. Such a support for me. And it sounds like a very small thing, but it's quite a big thing. And a lot of people are doing without that sort of collegial water cooler moment that is more helpful to self-regulation than you might have thought. And another spanner in the works right now, and this is something that you actually deal with very well in, in your book, is kind of conflict and conflict resolution, because obviously we're trapped indoors with the same people. We've touched a bit on it with empathy. There is a kind of argument, an argument for having a good argument that ends well for everybody, because there is going to be conflict in our lives and possibly a bit more than usual at the moment. Yeah. What we need to do when we're all living together and we've got conflict in the house is let go of bad and good, let go of right and wrong. Let's just assume nobody's right and nobody's wrong, nobody's good, nobody's bad. Now, let's really unpack how you feel about this 
then let's really unpack how I feel about this. I'm going to give a, a very simplistic example. Okay, suppose a mother is with two warring siblings, right? The girl is furious because uh, the boy's taken away her bike and the boy is furious because she's got a new bike and he hasn't. So what the mother might say is, you're cross about this and you're cross about that. Okay, now your godfather gave you a new bike. So this family is better off by one good bike than it used to be. And yet you're both unhappy. What do you think we can do about this? Let's brainstorm how we can each be happier. Let's brainstorm to see what compromises we each need to make, to see how we need to understand how the other's feeling, and then what plan of action can we do? Now, it's a lot quicker to go, shut up, than it is to be a mediator like that. Yes. Than it is to say, how are you all feeling about this? Okay, let's find out. But if we don't slow it down, slow it right down, see what's happening and see how everybody's feeling, we're just going to get stuck there. So it is actually quicker in the long run to see how's everybody's feeling and then get everyone to brainstorm a solution that works for everyone and deal with one thing at a time. Don't pile on grievances. Let, let's just deal with one grievance per day. We'll bracket the next grievance and sort that out tomorrow. So wise. And can, and can that work for your relationship with your partner as well as your... Again, I'd say one grievance at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't honest. try and do the last 20 years in one afternoon. No, no. please don't do that. Don't save them up. <laughs> don't save them up with a massive bomb. Um, I think think of it in terms of instead of saying you always don't do that, please don't do that. Define yourself. When you leave your pants on the floor, my heart sinks a bit. I'd really like you to, I don't know, not leave them on the floor or something. I'm so sorry that I can't put up with it, but I can't. It's just bringing me down. And that's so much better than saying, you always leave your pants on the floor, you filthy pig, because that gets into a row. But we've got something that moves on for that, because one of the themes about your work is this rupture and repair, which I think is really useful to, to know. And several listeners wrote to say that they'd read your amazing book and they'd realised, and I quote, and this came up several times, they got it all wrong. They had teenagers. Now they're faced with kind of, can we, can we get it right? Can we start again? Can we repair? How do we help people who are going through that? Nobody gets everything right first time. Life is but a journey. When we want to go from A to B, we don't go in a straight line. We go off, we get it wrong. We have a look at the map and we go, oh, no, I need to be on this way. And we correct and we overcorrect and we go too far the other way. So we have to overcorrect. But eventually we get there, but we never get there in a straight line. So think of mistakes and repairs of like going down the wrong path, realizing you've gone down the wrong path, thinking what you need to do to get on the right path and making the repair to get back on the right path. And you have to do this over and over and over again. And suppose you're, you've said to your 15-year-old all the way through her life, oh, don't be unhappy. It's okay. Don't be unhappy. You can say, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I should have 
found out more about what you are unhappy about, but I was too scared of my own unhappiness to do it. But I think I can handle my own unhappiness now. And so I'm going to do it differently in future. If I'm lucky enough that you confide in me again with your unhappiness, I'm not going to push you away or say it isn't happening. And I'm sorry I did that before. And I love you. I got it wrong. I didn't mean to, but I did. And I love you. Because we do love each other. And don't be so worried about your mistakes that you make it about you rather than about the relationship. But you can be forgiving of yourself. I felt like writing back to one of the ladies, you you don't have to blame yourself for everything you can forgive yourself for this hideous mistakes all the time and being guilty about them doesn't help you doesn't help them doesn't help anyone so please let's not beat ourselves up about it it's okay to make mistakes it's not the mistakes that matter it's putting them right that matters we had such a lovely insight into your your sort of world, a little bit of your relationship with Grace and through the art show. Coming back in February. And I mean, I loved watching you make art as well during the programme. You always did something incredibly creative. Um, and now Philippa is holding up, what's she holding up? Nurture. Are you? Is that embroidery? Hello, embroidery. embroidery while I wait for Zoom meetings to start. <laughs> I've started this about a week ago. So far, I've got to fill up this whole canvas, and so far I've done that much. It's very good, very very good stitching, I would say. I realised I was getting a bit fed up of just scrolling Twitter when I was hanging about waiting, so I thought I'd do something creative. What is it like living with a very, very creative person? I don't know. It's so long since I've lived with anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) People would be very disappointed that after the cameras are off, it's sort of like, what should we have for dinner? I don't know, what am I having? <laughs> what, we, what, 24 hours in a in? Oh, yes, let's watch 24 hours in a in. You know, like... Oh, I just imagine you floating around, making pots and being very fabulous till late in the night. Yeah, wearing great gowns. Each yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, you're writing another book at the moment, aren't you? Can you tell us anything? You're making a terrible face. So it's not your most enjoyable activity, is it? You know, beginning to write a book is like climbing a hill. And when you're editing the book, it's like running downhill on the other side. And when you're promoting the book, it's like flying. Let's put it this way. I'm not at the flying stage. Oh. <laughs> is, it, is it another one that's going to change our lives? It's the book you wish you'd read 10 years ago, but it's still not too late. It's about the dynamics and processes us humans get caught up in and how much nicer things are when we don't. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Philippa. That was Thank amazing. So we're at that point in the show that we like to call how to win at midlife. And today we're going to be tackling your hair worries. Now, as we age and the estrogen leaves our bodies, it can affect hair and scalp health. And I think when a woman's hair changes, it has a ripple effect on her confidence and even her stress levels. And we all know that stress is not good for hair growth. When I hit 47, around 47, 48, my hair started to thin and it actually started to fall out. I would say I probably lost a third of its volume. I had to see a specialist and found out that my iron levels were incredibly low, which was 
partly perimenopause, partly my diet. And I addressed that, went on HRT and my hair has got better, but I, it really affected my confidence mm. at the time. What about you, Trish? Do you know what? I don't think it was, but it's very grey. <laughs> that affects me a bit, I think. And I'm sort of having conversations with friends and people now who are sort of talking about, do we just go grey? And I don't think I'm ready for that yet. My sister's going to do it. So I'm interested to see how it works out for her and how that process is. But yeah, but you spoke to somebody rather fabulous who knows what I they're did. talking about for I some did. tips, didn't you? I uh, dipped back into my special little mm-hmm. black book of famous people who help famous people. I spoke to the very lovely Zoe Irwin. We are the same age. She's been my hair dresser for many, many, many years. Um, she's GHD Global Advisor. She's Weller's Colour Trend Expert. She's Creative Director at John Frieda Salon. So she really knows her stuff. Also, she is a woman in midlife, so she has been through this as well. But she is also the ambassador to Nioxin, which is the brand that specializes in thinning hair. And she told me the following. So mm-hmm. listen up. You have to treat your scalp like you treat your skin. So if you have really good scalp health, then you will have good hair growth. So she advises massaging your hair in a, your head in a circular motion round and round and round from the temples down and then all over your head. And she says, if you do that a couple of times a day, it increases the blood flow, it stretches the follicles. And she says there is science to show that you can get about a 25% regrowth over six mm. months. Trish is massaging. I'm massaging. I can, I, the stretching the follicles. I've never thought of that before, but that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Gives them a bit of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Put your glasses on to do that. <laughs> She's also very much about eating the right thing for the right stage of your life. She says that your hair produces keratin, which is the strong bit, mostly in the morning and before midday. So around that time of the day, you should be eating stuff that contains protein. Now, we've talked about protein a lot, haven't we, on this? This is so important to women in midlife. There are supplements that can promote hair growth, nioxin does a supplement. I actually take that. Iron and biotin might be beneficial as well. Uh, You can still wash your hair as often as you want, even if it's thinning or in in a less of a good condition, but always brush it with a wide tooth comb. There's lots of brushes for wet hair. I think it's really advisable to get a proper one for wet hair. Comb through before washing and after applying conditioner, but uh, only apply conditioner to the tips. You can still dry it if you want to, but on a low heat and finish with a cold blast. She said most women experience some form of hair breaking in menopause and there are lots of hair masks these are the times you turn to a hair mask at this stage of life things like olaplex wellaplex is a good one as well and then we recommend some of those moroccan oil masks but really go to the chemist and find a good hair mask to apply i don't think you do it every day you can do them once or twice a week if you have a very extreme hair loss then you must go to your gp because that is something you can manage properly with medication and it might be a sign of something else if you're going to color your hair you can still do that while it's thinning actually colouring plumps the strand so it's quite good for volume but you should look at tints as opposed to colour and then the big thing obviously that affects hair growth is stress. The worst symptoms she sees are women who are very stressed so if you can try and avoid that and get good sleep keep your diet well then your hair will improve its condition now i talked to her she does a lot of styling of women with black and brown hair a lot of afro styling and she's saying it's exactly the same kind of symptoms uh, with thinning hair or loss of condition but often black women have been braiding their hair which is really bad for your hair as you get to midlife so you've got to again look at your scalp health around that and she recommends a good scalp 
treatment or a good head massage. I also spoke to Karen Cummings-Palmer, who we had mm, yes, on the show. On series two. Who's yeah. a lovely wellness expert. She's good around black hair and black skin care. And she reiterated that kind of idea of treating from within. There is a supplement called MSN, which is very good, she says. And then there is an OG Wellbeing Omega-3 tablet, which contains vitamin D, which she says helps stimulate hair follicles. She advises diets rich in fats, antioxidant-rich berries, and cucumber as well. She says it's not only hydrating, this kind of diet, but it has silica, which is good for hair growth. And apparently eggs, Trish, they are mm. uh, on the list. There is a good shampoo called Fulvic, F-U-L-L-V-I-C-K, from Victoria Health. Anything by Philip Kingsley, obviously, as well. Um, so there's quite a lot of stuff out there, and you can mm-hmm. make a difference over a sort of longer time period. And it has actually, I, I put in the effort, and I feel like yeah, I've got yeah, it back it looks to where great. it is. I think it looks really great. It really does. Lovely colour. I think any of those tips, if you can try and incorporate some of those into your daily life, maybe not all at the same time, it's quite a few there, but I think it it should make a difference and we'd love to know how you get on. And we will, of course, post all of this on the Facebook group for you to follow up with. So now we have arrived in the first class lounge of postcards from midlife. Yes, it's our favourite bit. It's nostalgia noodling. What have you got for us this week, Lorraine? Right. Well, we were talking to the ultimate therapist, the nation's therapist, Mm. which reminded me of another very famous therapist who I loved and went, well, kind of lived with through the 90s. Do you remember Fraser Crane? Oh, of course. How could I forget? Friday night TV watching. Was just oh, brilliant. Just Fraser. I'm, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. So my favourite character in Fraser, this is my nostalgia noodle, was the one that never appeared in Fraser. Mm. Maris. Oh, is it Niles's wife? Niles's wife. Oh, just, yes. <laughs> it's kind of the most bizarre sitcom character ever created and she was so brilliantly drawn but also actually now when you look back it was quite sexist the way Maris was dealt with because she was this kind of supposedly hyper thin woman who used to travel around the world to have loads of plastic surgery Um, she used to have non-fat milk baths as they say (laughs) that's one of their (laughs) favourite jokes and that she was a very rich New Yorker who made all their Mm. family in uh, urinal cakes do you know what a urinal cake is? Trish? I don't think I want to. It's Remind me. One of me. those things you drop down the loo. That was the oh, humor yes. of it. Yes, yes, yes. Loo blocks. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I kind of was thinking, oh, this is so funny. And then I was sort of looking at some of the scripts and thinking, mm. gosh, they're so well, rude about her. And also the time. eating, you know, yeah. her lack of eating, her thinness. It sort of allowed a sitcom to be really unpleasant about. Yeah. A woman yeah. which I mean I'm not saying it's right or wrong and it was very funny but it really made me think I don't think that kind of unpleasantness to a woman and around mm-hmm. her would, would be right today I don't know especially yeah. as she had no voice to defend herself because she was yeah in it was she so we and didn't they, see Maris's side of the story yeah, did they we? were kind of making fun of a whole group mm. of women it was kind of yeah funny mm. not funny I think it's my as my teenage daughter says to me she says that's that's funny not funny actually funny, not funny, not funny. Yes. Yeah, where exactly. have you well nostalgia I've been Going back quite well, it sounds like a long Victorian way. This time. is something 
it might as well be. You're going to be shocked by this one. This is something that has stood the test of time. I kind of discovered recently that two of my favourite albums from the 80s, it doesn't take a lot of maths to do this, work this out, but they're going to be 40 this year. Oh, my God. Why do you tell me these things? Because I I think I'm 19. No, you're fine. You're fine. Think of Philippa, channel Philippa. Right, so Dare by Human League and Penthouse and Pavements by Heaven 17. Do you remember those? That's that kind of synth pop, both out of Sheffield. Amazing albums. Every song on there, brilliant. Brilliant album covers. Do you remember Dare with the Philo Key cropped in with him wearing the eyeliner and the lipstick? And Heaven 17 was that kind of mad. It was an illustration of them in like these business suits with ponytails and then recording equipment and glass skyscrapers in the background. It was just so good. And it sort of got me thinking at that age, right? So 1981, I would have been 14. Imagine if I'd been listening to music that was 40 years old, because our kids would listen to this music, right? We'd be listening, do you know what we'd have been listening to? We'd have been listening to the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boys by the (laughs) Andrews. And maybe a bit of Glenn Miller, White Cliffs of Dover, that sort of thing. I'm not sure it, this, it doesn't quite translate, no, does it, really? it's, I, mm. I was walking around the house today looking at um, some things I had bought, thinking my kids will be saying, oh, do you remember when mum got those dried flowers and put them in a <laughs> pink flag? Do you remember when mum bought that ridiculous rattan lampshade? Do you remember, oh, do you God. remember late 2021? Yeah, it's the potpourri, isn't it, of the tw- 2021? Exactly. Yes, I, it's so oh, difficult to know what you're what awfulness you might be buying into that people will remember terribly isn't it well i think we should all go and play those albums download them on spotify and play them okie dokie well that brings us to the end of this episode of postcards from midlife thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed it can you tell your friends and all the midlife women you know and please remember to subscribe on your podcast provider and do rate and review us too it's super useful when you do that so thank you and of course as always we'd love you to join us on the facebook group or dm us on instagram or email us at hello at postcards from midlife.com goodbye goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.